Ready to go? Ready to go. Woo! Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Podcast. This is episode three. I'm Brian Sheely. I'm Ryan Joy. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. We've got a jam-packed show planned. A lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of stuff to cover. But before we get started, a little follow-up from last week. We threw out a challenge, a weekly challenge, and I think we're going to keep this going. Yeah. Yeah. So last week, we were talking about habits and identifying some small habit that supports your bigger spiritual goal. So how'd you do with that this week, Ryan? Did you do anything? Adrian and I, my wife and I, kind of made a we we use these giant post-it sheets and we put a sheet up there and um and made a cue routine reward um chart and started thinking through a lot of habits but the main thing that we've done together that has been really helpful is this practice of as soon as our kids are down for bed having a meeting and we just start with a quick it's really quick and dirty just like go through but it's uh you know we start with a a verse and a prayer and then we we have sort of a a quick agenda we we go through and that has been really really a blessing to us and our marriage and our lives so that's that's one thing i'm also playing with this uh journaling thing you talked about a lot i've been (laughs) yeah (laughs) i've 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 played with it over the years in different ways and i'm just doing something real simple but that's been very good how about you what's going on well uh yeah mine's actually having to do with journaling specifically i go to work every morning and i have about a 25 minute 20 minute drive some odd and so over the last week, I've actually used that time to journal, which sounds sort of dangerous as I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> I actually use this app called Day One, which mm-hmm. lets you you know, add photos that you've taken throughout the day. It kind of collects all the information, places you've been, things you've done. One of the features that it has, though, is audio transcription. So I'll throw in my headphones while I'm driving, and I'll hit the record button, and I'll just basically talk about the previous day, what I've done, what I'm looking to do today. And then I start a new recording. And I, this is the thing that I've added to my routine, starting a new recording and looking at all of the ways that I put the Lord first the day before. So talking about all the ways that I'm mm-hmm. seeking first the kingdom. And, you know, that's been a, a helpful thing to do, at least just keeping it in my mind. And that's what I've tried to do over the last week. So it's a little less uh, collaborative, I guess, than yours, but it's it's been helpful. So there I am talking in my car to my iPhone. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's really great. And I love I love writing prayers. Kind of like when you read the book of Nehemiah, he goes from narrative to prayer to narrative and it just seamlessly flows. That's how my journaling has always been. Yeah. And I love praying out loud. And so that's a really good way to to do both of those. So that's that's really cool. Yeah. So we're going to have another challenge on this episode, but we'll get into it a little bit later on. Let's start off with our first segment, which is Jesus Said. You ready to go? Let's do it. All right, so for those of you who aren't familiar, if you haven't listened to our last few episodes, basically, the idea of this is one of us chooses a passage, something that Jesus said, and we'll read it to the other one. We haven't coordinated this ahead of time, but this is on the fly. 
interpretation of the things that Jesus said. So I'll set the context here. We're in John chapter 13, mm-hmm. and Jesus has just gotten done washing the disciples' feet. One of my favorite pictures during Jesus's ministry puts on its head the idea of Jesus being the king as he gets down onto his knees and washes his disciples' feet. There's some interesting interactions between yeah. him and Peter. I love Peter. He's sort of this impetuous one. But in John chapter 13, verse 12, when he'd washed their feet, he put on his outer garments, he resumed his place, and he said to them, now here we go, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What do you think? Yeah, the example of Jesus with this challenge, here's, here's him throwing down a challenge with mm-hmm. the example, makes me think, first, I go to my primary role as a leader of a, a husband and a father, especially as a husband, and I think about how am I getting down on my knees and doing the dirty work of the family, of the relationship, taking the step of leadership that maybe nobody wants to take. I'm going through this series uh, called Traveling Companions on Marriage, and our last study is we're using the metaphor for of uh, traveling, being on a trip together with your partner, and we're using this picture first of a boat trip and then of a plane trip. And so the boat trip, we thought about rowing together. And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, you know, an interesting thing about rowing together in tandem is the captain has to sit in the back of the boat so he can see what's happening with everyone else and make sure he's syncing up and leading by watching them. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really helpful. And I, I, we're about to talk about this, this final lesson. It's a study, and it's about it's it's called "This Is Your Captain Speaking," <laughs> and it's all about this idea of different kinds of leadership and learning to to give the kind of leadership that's going to be of service most. And we talked, you and I have talked about the primes, and uh, there's a prime about the spectrum of leadership and making sure that in any situation we have a sense as leaders, as men, of what is the best way to give our wives, our children, the leadership they need. Sometimes it's command and control. Here's what you need to do. I've been here before. I can get you through this. Here's what you you just trust me. Here's what you need to do. Here's what I want you to do. And other times it's about really creating a platform and stepping to the background and visioning together and building consensus. And so I, I think of all of this whenever I think of how I can step downward in order to lead, step to be a, down to be a servant of all rather than, than lording it over. Really beautiful picture. It's all about humility, too. Right? This idea that you really are not better than anyone else, no matter what position you're in. And of anyone who could have been that leader or that authoritarian figure, Mm. Jesus is on his knees. And Mm -hmm. it's completely opposite from the picture that you'd expect Jesus to portray as someone who is 
the Messiah, the chosen one, the king. I mean, he's he's everything. Yeah. <laughs> but there but there he is, he's washing their feet. And that was just a mark of his whole ministry, this culmination of everything that he had been doing throughout his entire ministry. Now washing their feet, being humble, loving them, showing them kindness and compassion just tells mm-hmm. me that I'm not better than anyone else. No matter who we are, if we're serving the king, we're doing the same things that the king does. I feel like we always see that as a mark of a good leader, as someone who is there in the trenches, so to speak, yeah. working alongside everyone else. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. We're not better than him. And if he's willing to do this, then I should be willing to do this. And not just my spouse or my child or people in the church or anyone else, I'm serving everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's this picture. I'm going to have this with me all day, this idea of am I kneeling down to wash feet. And so thank you for for that selection. That's really good. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to do a little segment here that we're going to call Deep Thoughts. And now Deep Thoughts by Jack Hammond. (laughs) (laughs) So as anyone knows who spends any time in the Bible, you wind up finding things that you didn't expect to find, going down some... Mm -hmm rabbit trails that you didn't expect to go down and let's just go back and forth i want to hear some of the things that you've noticed in your study recently anything anything interesting going on yeah i've been thinking of this idea of the bible as a movie score Hmm. so i'll i'll start by asking you i'll put you on the spot what's your favorite movie score i mean i love the sound of music i don't know there's kind of hard to uh, top that one in my book but you How about you? Went straight what, what, to a musical. I know. That's, sorry. Yeah, I, that is good. No, that's good. I think of score. I think of like, yeah, we're we're singing and dancing here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you know, take that and and you think of how you know there's there's little and I can't remember all the details of sound of music and how it pulls in, but let's let's say it grabs a hold of you know the the theme of the the love song between the the two. Uh, young teenagers and when it shows them again later it might play a little bit of that melody might be a little different might be softer maybe you know before they were singing and now it's just playing it it's before there was a big orchestra and now it's you know it's just a, a french horn solo but it's bringing us back to this theme of their love and you know then you might see another character you know the bad guys the germans are coming and you know so you you hear a different kind of melody in in the the score and the bible really I'm seeing more and more how it does this. It uses this narrative patterning to help us to understand what something means. I heard a great quote from Bruce Waltke. There's a he's, he has a on YouTube a series where he teaches through the Book of Psalms, and he's he's a really helpful Old Testament scholar for me. But he quotes I think somebody else I can't remember who, but he says you can't know what something means until you understand how it means. Mm. So, you know, if you think about how, you know, what does this particular Psalm mean? Well, if you don't understand how Hebrew poetry works, it's really hard to understand what it means. You're going to miss a lot of pieces of it. You'll get something, but you'll miss a lot of pieces of it in the same way in just the way the Bible tries to communicate what the Messiah 
is all about. The way the Bible tries to communicate the challenges of Christian living and what it means to trust the Lord, if we don't understand how it's meaning, it's really hard to get the full meaning of what it's saying. And so we have to learn to think like uh, a Jewish thinker. And so what we see is these archetypes. And I just taught a class through the nations. And the exciting thing about teaching about the nations around Israel, for me, was not just learning about these different nations and talking about geography and history, but noticing how they serve as archetypes in this story. So Egypt, I think, is this first really big bad guy, but also this really important moment in the story. We find in the Exodus story a picture of how God redeems the people and salvation comes about in the Exodus. First, the the, the word salvation is used for the first time in the song of Moses. I don't know if you've noticed this before, but you get to the story of Jesus as a child in Matthew 2, and it reads there in verses 13 to 15 uh, about Joseph bringing Jesus down to Egypt, and then it says, out of Egypt, I called my son. And that's, that's a quote. Yeah. It's quoting Hosea 11. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know, do you remember who Hosea 11 is talking about? Uh, I don't, that's the top of my head. <laughs> okay. It's talking about Israel. I mean, it's, it's, um, it says, you know, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. And then it goes on to talk about how they went astray. So definitely not about Jesus. Right. So then you think, okay, are the New Testament writers like Matthew just pulling something out of context because it has a nice phrase, or is there something more going on here? And I think there's something more going on here. I think he knows exactly what the context of this passage is, and he's saying, look, look at what happened with Israel. Out of Egypt, God called his son Israel. And now, out of Egypt, God calls his son Jesus. And just as the initial son, the nation of Israel, was going astray, in this case, the son will not go astray. And so we find, for instance, a picture in Isaiah 49, one of the servant songs, of Jesus that he is Israel. Verse 3, it says, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. And Jesus says, but I labored, I labored in vain. You know, I, it's, the, Israel isn't coming back. See, they're going astray and they're not coming back. And God says, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So it's going to be a bigger salvation. So this is just one picture of how Egypt becomes an archetype where Jesus is following this pattern in history. This is a real event, but also in the story, Matthew is saying, look, this is not just about he's trying to get away from some bad guys. This helps you to see who the Messiah is. He's representing all of Israel as the true Israelite. So when he goes down to Egypt, it shows this picture of how, how Israel went down to Egypt, and he's ultimately going to bring the true exodus. And so in Luke 9, whenever Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus, it says they were talking about his exodus, his hmm. departure. And the word there, the Greek word is exodus. And so it's talking about his death, but his death is going to be an exodus where 
not just himself, but where he's going to bring the redemption of God's people as the true Israelite and the true human. He's going to do the job that Israel hasn't done of being a light to the nations, and he's going to represent Israel in being a light to the nations and bringing about a redemption for all people. So that's an example of Egypt as, yeah, as as this archetype. It's interesting because you have this unity or consistency, I guess you could say, and you don't see that in any other kind of writing really as these things are spread out over hundreds of years, thousands of years even, and then you have this common thread which continues to pop up. And kind of like you mentioned, this movie score, you know, if you were to get multiple people working on a single movie score and each one of them approaching it from different angles, there would probably not be a lot of consistency in the approach. You, you might get very different themes, you might get very different sounds or whatever. And that's, I think, one of the great marks of the inspiration of the Bible and the Holy Spirit's work throughout all of this, that these things, which are just briefly mentioned in lots of places in the Old Testament, pop up in the New Testament, in the life of Jesus, in describing who he is and helping us understand who he is. And I think maybe it's hard for us today to pick up on some of those things, but if you were in that time, if you were familiar with the old law, if you were trained in the old law, as as many of these Jews would have been around this time in the first century, all of a sudden, you're just making all these connections. All the, all the dots are starting to connect, and you're seeing this picture get painted of something that's way bigger than you expected it to be. Yeah, it's like all of the community of the saints and all of these prophets are in conversation with each other. Right. And that's why, you know, whenever you read a book of the Bible, we talked about this, I think you brought this up last week, this, you read a book of the Bible, you read through Isaiah, and then you go and you read through the Gospels, and then a year later you read through Isaiah and you ask, was that there before? But you see how Matthew is in conversation with Isaiah, and Genesis right. is being echoed in Isaiah, and they're all, yeah, the Holy Spirit is working in all of these in all of these prophets, and then also, even in history, God is providentially writing this story to help us to fully see the meaning of it all. This is the story of the universe. Yeah. It's being written in the scriptures, yeah. This kind of ties into my deep thought for this segment. Yeah, I'm, I'm prepping for this lesson about exorcism, not a topic we talk about very often, and... <laughs> I was listening to an episode of the Naked Bible podcast where uh, they were talking about the exorcism of demons as part of the messianic profile. You see all these people in the first century as they're approaching Jesus, and they expect that the Messiah will be not only someone who will heal, but who will also cast out demons. And it had me scratching my head because I'm thinking, okay, well, we don't really see that many demon-possessed people or evil spirits in the Old Testament. There's not a whole lot of references to that. But we see Jesus being referred to in these cases where he's healing or when he's casting out demons. We often, very often, see them call him the son of David. And all of these dots started connecting for me because why would they call him son of David? You know, I read past some of these verses when, when he's casting out demons or he's going to cast out demons and someone calls him the son of David. What does that mean? I have read past that so many times. And this podcast episode was essentially talking about how there are a lot of references to David 
in the Dead Sea Scrolls and in the writings of Josephus and some other people, some of these historical documents, not only David, but his son Solomon, where Solomon was actually someone known by the Jews in the first century to have had, quote, from Josephus in Antiquities, quote, the skill which expels demons, which is a science useful and sanative to men. Mm. And this was something he had been taught by God. And whether that's true or not, that was in the minds of the Jews at the time that Solomon was the, the person who had the ability to actually cast out demons. And then when they refer to Jesus in that way as the son of David, they're basically saying, we know that the, that the Messiah, the chosen one, is going to have this power over demons. And in my connection of all these things, all I'm thinking of is, I really want a first century person inside of my brain while I study. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's the hardest part of Bible study is not exactly not be, it's, it's trying to cross that barrier and connect into that brain. And I think that's part of what you're talking about in your nation's study. This idea that if, if you were in the first century listening to Jesus and, and all of these things that were happening, you would be making all kinds of connections to history, to all the things that the law talked about. And I think we miss that. I miss that a lot in this 21st century interpretation of the Bible. But I think that's what the whole purpose of exegesis really is, this interpretation in the context. I have a tendency a lot of times when I approach the Bible to bring my own baggage, my own understanding of things to the table the way that I would view something or the, the definitions of words that I understand today. But those words, that context, all of those things back in the first century would have been totally different. So I was just talking to someone, one of our elders' wives, and she said something about, I know you're interested in the exegesis, although why you'd want to exit Jesus, I don't know, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I never, I never heard that <laughs> that set up before. Uh, yeah, no exegesis. A and actually, I was looking, I was looking at this topic a little bit more, and the opposite or the other approach of exegesis. You know what it is? Tell me, eisegesis. Eisegesis, putting into the text. Yes. So I feel like eisegesis is what I often do. Where, where I come to a particular text and rather than drawing out of it the context that it was written and all these things that we should absolutely consider when we study mm -hmm. the Bible, I feel like I'm viewing it from a 21st century brain and I don't pull out as often as I need to the things that would help inform my understanding from the context in which it was written. So, yeah, but a lot to say about it, but I'll move on. So let's get into our next segment, our last segment. This is where we talk about the challenge for this week. And you mentioned your current series on marriage and baggage. I, I listened to your lesson and it was wonderful listening because I could only imagine what you were doing. Uh, you brought props <laughs> to your last yeah. lesson on marriage and baggage, didn't you? What, what did you bring? Yeah, I got a I got I brought two suitcases up into the pulpit and got out one of these giant suitcases and opened it up and I had different kinds of representatives of baggage. So I had chains in there representing our guilt baggage and a yearbook, a high school yearbook from 
1994 representing the identities we try to carry with us or a mask that we we try to show people i brought up armor that we use to protect ourselves from old wrongs and and a fairy tale book we go into marriage and other things thinking with expectations that sometimes hinder us we don't talk about them and we don't let them go so yeah props and then i i pulled it down to packing one small bag and traveling light and putting our bible and our wedding band in it and letting letting god show us what we need to carry with us and figuring out the rest together it was it was fun putting putting that up there and i notice every time i bring props up there all the kids are fully tuned in (laughs) (laughs) i feel like baggage is something we don't talk enough about because we all have it and a lot of times it's really hard to see that we do have it but acknowledging that we do have baggage and like we kind of just talked about about bible study I think we bring a lot of baggage into Bible study in this sort of eisegesis, I'm going to bring my understanding to the Bible and make it fit. That's definitely not a good approach. But from all sorts of things, we we bring with us the baggage of our sin. We bring the baggage of our past relationships. We bring maybe the baggage of our biases to situations, our prejudices. I I just got done recording a step-by-step episode we, ha- we do these video Bible study series at Monta Vista. I just talked a little bit about prejudice and privilege. So obviously how God looks at the heart, he doesn't look at the physical appearance, and neither should we. How Christ unites us all, and it's no longer male or female, Jew or Greek. There, there's no national distinctions. There's no racial distinctions, gender distinctions. But then getting into... I guess the last point about our privilege, and while we may not be confronted with this kind of prejudice in our own life, that each one of us has something we can do and something we can help with because we may not be suffering with something or we may not be struggling with something. And so this idea, I guess, of helping other people with their baggage, Mm -hmm. I think is also repeated throughout the Bible as well. not just dealing with our own stuff, but also helping other people deal with theirs too. It's funny, in Galatians 6, it says, bear your own burden. You've got your own burden to bear. And that the word there, the picture is of a soldier's backpack. Right. And then it says, but you all bear each other's burdens. And it's a different word and a different picture. So you have responsibility for your baggage, but we can reach out to each other and help each other carry the load of life that is laid down on each of us. Why is it such a problem for us to actually introspectively look at ourselves and see? I think of David as he was clearly dealing with one of the biggest pieces of baggage he had ever carried, which was his sin with Bathsheba, and just had no acknowledgement of the issues in his own life. He was deep in the middle of the cover-up and trying to deal with all of the fallout from that sin. And it took Nathan coming to him and finally pointing right at him and saying, you are the man. Why is it so hard for us to see when we are actually carrying something? You'd, You'd figure we'd know. I think we're protecting ourselves. I think that it is so painful to see yourself clearly. And one of the things about baggage is you've usually been carrying it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And the more you realize it, the more you realize it's been affecting your decisions. A lot of times other people have been able to see it and you haven't. 
you know, it's been affecting the way you, you speak, the way you act. And it's, it's really hard to get a clear look at that. And, you know, James one gives this picture of the word of God as a mirror you look into and it contrasts looking in the mirror and doing something about it, which requires us to see it clearly, accept it, and decide to change, to decide to be a doer of the word, versus looking in in the mirror and just glazing over, not even paying attention or not changing anything that you see in the mirror. And our identity is so precious to us. How we see ourselves is so basic to how we live. We talked about that in the habit episode that I think we use this as a survival mechanism, not seeing ourselves clearly. Yeah. I look at Second Peter 2.20, where Peter says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. We are escaping the defilements of the world. How? Through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus, knowing his character, knowing what he did, knowing how he acted, how he interacted with people, knowing all of that, that helps us escape, or in, I guess, our terms here, lay aside our baggage. Yeah, and, and the more we know and see his most defining characteristics, his holiness and his love and his grace, it gives us the clarity to see the difference between his holiness and our baggage a lot of mm-hmm. times which is either often sinful or can lead to sinful attitudes and problematic attitudes but it also gives us the space the willingness to know that he loves us and he's merciful towards us to forgive us and to remember these things no more and to let let them go when we come to him in faith and repentance and and really see them clearly and acknowledge them. And that grace is essential. The world doesn't know that kind of grace. And so guilt is a bag, a baggage, a piece of baggage that is just so heavy, you, you just don't want to deal with it. A lot of times I think we see grace opposed to holy living and people are afraid you're, if you overemphasize grace, then people aren't going to be able to, to see how important it is and be able to make the changes in order to live righteously and see the importance of conviction in, in the words and the truths that God has shown. But it's the opposite. And Titus says that the grace of God trains us to give mm-hmm. up, to deny ourselves these ungodly practices. I did a lesson a couple of years ago called The Baggage and Blessings of Our Background, mm. sort of alliterative title, but it was all about this idea of looking at the grass that seems greener on the other side of the fence. Wouldn't it be nice if my background would have been different? I, I was raised in a very godly family, and I ask myself the question frequently, wouldn't it have been nice if I would have come from maybe a worldly background and then I could relate to people who came from a worldly background as well. No matter who we are, whether we came from a worldly background or a background raised in a godly family, I think we have benefits on either side that we can use that baggage, so to speak, in a positive and productive way. I think that's another way to spin it. Because you see Paul in Philippians chapter 3, he says, Forgetting what lies behind, 
and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call in Christ Jesus. Now, you look at that and you say, well, Paul's background, he's just giving it all up. He's laying it all aside. But we see constantly Paul using his background as a teaching tool. This is who I was, and here is what I learned from it. And he he constantly talks about that. So, yes, he's laid it aside, as in the guilt of those things, as in all the things that he did against the Lord. But he definitely does not forget to the point where he's not willing to talk about it. And so I I think we can all use our baggage, even though we've laid it aside and forgotten about it and are no longer entangled by it, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, your story is your story. And you take what has happened to you, the times that people have wounded you, the things that you've done that were not right, and you allow God to use those things for good. Paul could look at himself and say, I am the greatest of sinners. So you can, you can from that see how great God's grace is, but he didn't carry that burden around with him. And he says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, to comfort one another with the comfort with which God has comforted you. So you, you've gone through difficult things. That informs you how to go and, and help others. And all of these things that we carry with us, whether it's our fears, our experiences, the wrong someone has done to us, all of these things need to be sorted through. Right. And we figure out what is productive and healthy in Christ and what isn't. And a measure, a, a principle that Hebrews 12.1 gives us is, is what you're carrying weighing you down for the long distance race you're running, or is it empowering you and strengthening you and helping you on that journey? And if it's weighing you down, you have to let it go. Even if it's not sin, you have to find a way to face it and deal with it. And scripture gives a lot of wisdom on how to do that in many different areas. And if it's, if it's not, you don't let go of everything. You hold on to, like you say, what your background is. You hold on to the good and you let, let it inform how you serve. These are your opportunities and gifts that are unique to bless the church. I feel like a lot of people are doing this right now with their clothes. They're going Marie Kondo <laughs> style on everything. Yeah, yeah. Tidying up. Hey, here's our first Netflix show reference. (laughs) So yeah, Yeah. I feel like that phrase that she uses in that show, is this something that you want to carry into the future? Yeah. I guess is probably a good question for us when we consider our our baggage. You know, is this attitude, is this thought, is this guilt, is this entanglement something I want to carry into the future? Is this going to be helpful for me? And if it's not, pull an Elsa and let it go. So is there a challenge that might go with that? Yeah. So let's pull one from your last lesson. Find someone who's close to you and ask them what kind of baggage you need to let go. Man, that sounds so simple. And man, that's scary. In (laughs) fact, someone told me last night, they were talking about my lesson from Sunday night and they said, yeah, I haven't done that yet. That's really scary. I'm not sure I want to. <laughs> and I said, yes, it is. It's the scariest one we've talked about. And I understand. I'm nervous about it, too. Especially, I, I, asked, I suggested in the lesson that you ask your spouse if you're married and just think about what you might need to lay aside. And I encourage the spouses to be gentle, but speak the truth because we need to hear it. We need to know, what am I not seeing? 
we sing a song. I don't, do you get, do you know the song, um, open my heart to what you know? Have you ever sang that? Yeah. 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 Open my heart to what you know, so I can stretch, so I can grow. My feelings toss me to and fro, but open my heart to what you know, Lord. And, and that goes with the prayer of David and to search me, O God. But we need to hear it from each other. So we need to be courageous enough to ask. We have not been given a spirit of timidity. I like it. Are you, are you going to go for it this week? I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'll do All it. All right, me too. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, that kind of wraps up everything. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments, head on over to our website at BibleGeeks.fm. Click the link at the top of the page to email us and send us anything that you're thinking, any topics that you'd like us to talk about, questions regarding this topic or any others. We'll definitely entertain those things. And uh, if you haven't followed us on Facebook or Twitter, and I think we're on Instagram too, I have no idea, we're at slash the Bible geeks across all your social media platforms. So until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. See ya.